Hey, welcome to Access. John here. This week we are bringing in a real-life horse whisperer for our Wild Horse Ministries event in Carn City. And I'd love to give you an address, but I'm told to take you to the wrong place. So the directions are a mile north of Carn City on Highway 80 on the right. Bring someone you know that needs to know about Jesus. So today we're going to continue our study in the book of John and talk about how to get God on our team. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, because this message is entitled, Whose Side Are You On? Did you ever play kickball in grade school? I remember uh, elementary days. We'd run out on the, the playground during recess, and we'd play kickball. And um, something inevitably happens whenever you're playing kickball. Not only do you take sides, but somebody gets picked last. And I'll never forget what, what uh, one of my professors in school told me about whenever he played kickball. He was He's a scrawny kid like me. Nobody wanted him on their team. So he always got picked last. It always hurt his feelings. He didn't know how to deal with it. And so what he did... Uh, he finally figured out how to never get picked last again. What he did is he he ran out on the field as fast as he could, and he beat everybody else to the ball, and he held the ball up, and he says, all right, I'm team captain, now who do I want on my team? But somebody always gets picked last. But it, it, it is kind of interesting that, you know, that we we just we pick sides easily. And whether somebody gets picked last or not, or whether it's a, a, a playground game or, or whatever, we, we take sides. And when we take sides, sometimes it's, it's, it's part of the competition. It's part of the sport. But what happens when it's not? What, what happens when it's not fun and games anymore? The reality is, is that side-taking doesn't end whenever we leave grade school. It doesn't, leave, doesn't end when we, when we leave elementary. We, we take sides our entire life. And, you know, sometimes things are, are necessary for us to take sides. For example, um, there might be theological battles that we fight where you have to fall on one side or the other. Now, um, you might get tired of all the sides. I, I, you know, I know that, that I've talked with several people, and they don't want to talk about religion or politics because religion and politics is where most of the side-taking happens, and it's us versus them. And most of the time, somebody gets, um, somebody gets hurt. And, and it's just kind of a, a disgusting thing to see. We don't want to take we don't take part in that. But unfortunately, you know, Jesus took sides, and he drew a line in the in the sand. And he says, "Either you're with me or you're against me." You know, those who do not gather with me scatter. So the question is, is God on, on our side? And I, I think most of the time that we as Christians we feel like, yes, God's on our side. We're we're His followers after all. But the reality is, is that, that that might not necessarily be the case because, I mean, obviously, the church, sometimes Christians square off against each other. You know, well, God, well, Jesus said this. Well, yeah, well, Jesus said that. And it, it becomes this argument that we seem to have with one another. Well, whose side is Jesus on? Now, I, I, I'd like to think that God's on my team. But, you know, just like in the kickball days, you wanted the best player. You, you, you knew him when you saw him, or her when you saw him. It was like the, the, the really bulky one, the, the, the one that was really super athletic. You're like, absolutely, I want you on my team first. And so sometimes that's what we do with God. It's like, well, God's on my team. God's on my team. Well, before we go into today's passage, I do want to read just a, another passage in the Old Testament because I think this kind of rings true with the way that we seem to look at and respond to each other when it comes to God. Now, um, if you if you read about the, the, the leader, Joshua, in the Old Testament, he was the guy that took over for Moses. Now, talk about living in a shadow. I mean, he grew up 
seeing Moses do incredible things, or should I say, rather should I say God, seeing God do incredible things through Moses, but I mean still, he got to see Moses put his staff in the water and the waters part, he got to see the ten plagues, he got to see um, the manna from heaven, he got to see Moses bring water from a rock, I mean like... just imagine trying to take over for this guy. Okay, Moses is gone. Joshua, you're in charge. I'm talking about feeling a shadow, walking in a shadow. That's what this guy did. The rest is his life. I mean, God did incredible things through, through him too. But in Joshua chapter 5, we do see something kind of incredible, that God commands Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And so there is a city that's standing in their way, and a bunch of giants live there. It's a town called Jericho. And I want to read a passage of scripture for you with what happens when, when Joshua is snooping around trying to, to scout things out uh, around Jericho. It's in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. This is what it says. It says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell down on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now what's really cool about this passage of Scripture I think uh, maybe a couple of years ago, I did a preaching series on Christophanies. Maybe you remember that, maybe you don't. Um, basically, what a Christophany is, is it's it's a time in the Old Testament where we believe Jesus showed up. Jesus, uh, John said in John 1, uh, 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So, it's talking about Jesus. The, in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus Christ. So, if Jesus always existed, surely we'd see cases in the Old Testament where Jesus showed up. Well, we do. They're called Christophanies. For example, we see uh, a picture of a Christophany with Abraham whenever he's... Um, told that he's going to be the father of the nations. We see a Christophany whenever uh, Jacob wrestles with a man that's like God. Um, We see uh, Christophany in Daniel where uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace and a fourth man shows up in the furnace. Uh, We see it again in Isaiah. Well, here's another place in Joshua that we see yet another appearance of Christ. Now, anytime Anytime somebody in Scripture bows down to worship an angel, the angels stop them. And there's there's a special terminology that it uses for the word angel. It's angel or messenger. Like, like Scripture's very clear. But in this passage, it says, uh, Behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And so it's not an angel, it's a man. And Joshua goes and he, he, he asks him, so well, whose side are you on here? Are you on my side or are you on their side? And what we believe is the pre-incarnate Christ says, neither. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm on the Father's side. In fact, I'm the captain of the host of angels. I am, I am, the, I am in charge of the Lord's army. Now, what you see here is Joshua do something pretty significant. 
instead of, of saying, well, you know, follow me if you're going to come fight in, in, you know, Jericho, what he does is he falls on his face and he surrenders. And, and that is going to be very, very, very important if we're going to study this uh, passage in John chapter 12. So what I want to do is I want to read now John chapter 12, and I want to look uh, at verses 12 through, tw- through 19, 12 through 19, and I just want us to focus on people taking sides, okay? So as we study this, uh, just just try to, to picture this, the, the people that are taking sides. I think this will make a lot more sense, that, that passage, just a second ago. So let's read John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. This is what it says. On the next day, uh, after um, you know the chief priest planned to, to kill Jesus and Lazarus uh, for this, you know, a- a- after this, um, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and Mary pours perfume on his feet. It says, on the next day, the large crowd who could come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things the disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him called, uh, he, excuse me, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. So there's some things in this passage I just want to talk about before we get to the side-taking and how we can resolve this, this, this debate on whose side Jesus is on. Okay, uh, The first thing I want to point out is in verse 12. Um, is it says, on the, on the next day, a large crowd who had come to the feast... Uh, when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, what they did is they took uh, palm branches and then they they uh, laid out their jackets for him to walk on. Now, um, what's interesting about this is that any any movie that you've ever seen about Jesus entering in Jerusalem, now I know they've made several, but this is one of those things that's recorded in all four Gospels, so that's going to be in every Jesus movie. Every movie that you've seen, though, it vastly underestimates how many people were in this crowd. You might see in the movies maybe three, four, five hundred, maybe even a thousand. But that doesn't even come close to addressing the number of people that had come to Jerusalem. Now, what's incredible is, is that, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Goodness, Josephus, excuse me. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He said in 66 to 67 AD, in those years, that there were over 2.4 million pilgrims, million Jews who came to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Uh, they were required. You couldn't do the Passover in your own hometown. You had to come to Jerusalem to, to worship, and it was mandatory. So 2.4 million Jews had come. There's less than a million Jews in the world today. I don't even know if you know that. But 2.4 million in 66, 67 AD, it it, it makes sense for us to say that there must have been at least 2 million people that had traveled to Jerusalem at that time. At least. And that's lowballing it. 
that it's very possible that two million people were standing by and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. It makes sense if there's two million people standing by, why the Pharisees would look at one another in verse 19 and say, look, you're not doing any good. The whole world has gone after him. That two million people were standing around and worshiping him and laying down palm branches and, and putting their jackets down on the ground for him to enter Jerusalem in on. Now, there are some reasons why he did that. But I just wanted you to just first just try to get an idea of how many people we're talking about because it's absolutely incredible. When John said a large crowd came to the feast, he meant a large crowd. There was no way for him to count um, how many people were there, so he just wrote large crowd. Now, when Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, what they did is they took palm trees and they went out to meet him and they began. We see we don't see the, the coats in this, but if you look in the other three Gospels, see there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they each give an account of Jesus entering in Jerusalem. You begin to get a little bit more backstory. John is not necessarily trying to, he doesn't explain where the donkey comes from, which are explained in the other Gospels. Jesus tells the disciples to go and get it, and they do. Um, he doesn't explain that not only are they laying the palm branches down, they're laying their coats down for him to walk on. So there's a reason why that they are doing this, and I want to try to quickly explain why that is. Okay, so about 200 years before Jesus was born, or uh, the God came down as flesh and dwelt among us, about 200 years before that, the Seleucid Empire took over Jerusalem, and a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, um, he, uh, he came into Jerusalem. He came in and desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig, an unclean animal, upon the altar to a pagan god. He did it to Zeus. When he did that, he set off a chain of events in the Jewish, Jewish, Jewish nation that these zealots, these freedom fighters, began to fight back and push them back. Well, <clears throat> a man named Matthias... Maccabee uh, began this struggle, and he ended up passing away, and so the torch went to his son Judas, and Judas finally overthrew them, and not necessarily overthrew them, but pushed them out of Jerusalem, and that they were allowed to worship again, and so he came in, and he cleansed the temple, which is where we get, uh, where Jews today get the uh, Festival of Lights, or Hanukkah, as it's commonly referred to. That's what they're celebrating. Well, as Judas pushed them back, his brother Simon actually like got rid of them and he became a national hero. He was the one that got finally got rid of the Seleucid Empire and he did it interestingly enough how he did it is he ended up signing a contract with Rome and Rome came in and pretty much took over. So it wasn't the victory that they were really looking for, but when he threw out the Seleucids, they gave him a massive Parade, probably two million people standing around. And when they did that, palm branches were around. That's something that they used a lot for the Feast of Tabernacles because you cut the palm branches down, you make yourself a tabernacle, but they were everywhere. So what they did is they waved palm branches at him as he came in. And the palm branches became a sign of victory. Now, before I get into the code, I just want to point out one thing that it's interesting here that as Jesus enters the city, on a donkey. These people are saying, maybe two million people sitting around saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, which means save now. Save us now. Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they even put on the end of that was, 
even the king of Israel. Now that is pretty significant. And I think probably this undoubtedly must have gotten around to Pontius Pilate because if you remember when Jesus was crucified, what did he put on the top of the cross? King of the Jews. That was to spit in their face. Hey, you remember when you guys were shouting, hey, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king. Yeah, look up there. There's your king. That's what he was doing whenever he put that up there. That's why the Pharisees hated it. They did not want that to be up there because it was a sign of defeat. But it's interesting that you look at this passage and hear these two million, maybe two million people were, were shouting, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're doing that on Monday. And on Friday, these same people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. How is that even possible? That not even a week passes and they were at first saying, yeah, this is the guy, and now they're saying, kill him. Well, if you look at what Jesus does in this passage, it makes more sense. And if you even like unfold the rest of the Gospels, like I said, they were laying their jackets down, right? They were laying their jackets down for him to walk upon. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a parade but uh, there's a reason why all the animals are at the back of the parade with the cleanup crew. It's because uh, you, you pretty much figure it out. I'm not going to go into much more detail. But somebody's jacket was getting dirty. I just want to point that out. Somebody's jacket was getting dirty. So why did they do that? Why? The reason why they did that is because it was what you did with royalty. You would take off your coat and you would put it down on the ground so royalty could walk into a city. Now, uh, they looked at Jesus as if he was their king. Now, that's very important. They were shouting, Hosanna, save us now, our king, as he was going in. Now, what they were doing there is they were shouting to Rome, who was a harsh master, that they didn't have the freedom that they once had. They were shouting to Rome, here's our king to save us. You know, what's interesting, though, is that when a conqueror would enter into a city, what he would do is he would pick a royal steed, a big, beautiful horse to, draw, to, to walk in. It was a sign of might and victory, which is what they were doing with the palm branches. But if you look at what Jesus does, <coughs> he doesn't do that at all. In fact, we see from other scripture parts of Scripture, the other Gospels, and he tells his disciples to go get a donkey. Now, what's interesting about this donkey is that donkeys in the Middle East are not the size of the donkeys here in America. Donkeys in the Middle East, you men, grown men have to pick up their knees or their feet will drag the ground. Jesus not only told them to go get a donkey, he told them to go get a donkey that had never been ridden yet. So it was a child. It was a small baby, not even a baby donkey, but maybe a maybe a, an adolescent donkey that, that wasn't fully grown yet. So Jesus very likely could have stood up and this donkey could have passed right underneath him. And yet Jesus is riding this donkey into Jerusalem. If Jesus were to do that, something like that, if anybody were to do something like that today, let's say Donald Trump, whenever he won the election, if he were to do something like that, he would have been massively ridiculed. That would have gone up all over Facebook and Twitter, and nobody would have ever forgotten it. Why did Jesus do that? 
It's because Jesus came not only to fulfill Scripture as it's written about him that he would enter in on a donkey, but Jesus came in perfect humility. That he was not the king that they were looking for. Jesus could have found a steed. Surely he, he had one available to him. But he didn't. He came in on a donkey, showing them, I am gentle and humble in heart, and I am not here to overthrow Rome. They were shouting, God's on our side. Jesus is on our side, Rome. Yet Jesus didn't go to the, you know, to Pontius Pilate immediately. He didn't go to overthrow. He came in submission. He came in humility. Now, the irony here is, is that um, in, in, the, in the book of Joshua, if you look, Joshua comes upon what we believe is the pre-incarnate Christ, and he says the man's sword is drawn. Why is his sword drawn? It's because he's ready to give victory. But if you want victory, <laughs> it's not going to come the way that you want. Jesus longed to deliver the Jews. He longed to deliver the Jews. In fact, we see in the book of Matthew that as he was entering into Jerusalem on this donkey, he wept over Jerusalem, bitter tears. <clears throat> and he gives a prophecy that is fulfilled in 70 AD. Essentially what it is, is he's telling them, I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing why were they not willing? Because they wanted to overthrow Rome. They wanted him to be the king that came in and gave them their freedom. And Jesus tells them and he prophesies over them and he tells them, a time is coming and it's very soon. In 70 AD, was very soon. They were completely decimated and destroyed. I cannot wait to get into Jesus' prophecy about 70 AD. Um, we don't have time to do it today, so we're going to have to do that real soon. But um, that is, is absolutely it is heart-wrenching. that It is ironic that Jesus wanted to give them victory. But see, the problem is, is that they were not willing to come to him. He was going to give them deliverance. And here's the message for us today. This is to ensure that we don't repeat the same mistake that they made. If we want to win with Jesus, if we want to win with Jesus, we must first lose. If we want to win with Jesus, we must first lose. We must surrender to him. And if we're unwilling to surrender, then guess what? We're going to look at Jesus and say, hey, are you on my side or are you on the adversary's side? And he's going to say, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. That should elicit a response in us, that we realize that, that Jesus is in, on my side. In fact, there's a passage of scripture in the book of Matthew where a man comes to Jesus and he tells him, hey, Jesus, go tell my brother to, to, to share his inheritance with me. It's, it's what we commonly refer to as triangulation. This is between you and somebody else, and you bring a third party in there. You know what Jesus told him? He said, do it yourself. Do it yourself. No, no, I'm not going to go do that. You're not going to drag me in and say, hey, Jesus is on my side. No, I'm not taking sides here. I'm on, I'm on the Lord's side. So what, what it causes us to do is it, is it really, you know, if you think about it, why do we choose sides anyways? 
It's because we think we're right, yeah. But if you don't ever notice that sometimes you might even surrender what you what you think is right, and it's because you want to belong. It's you want to belong to a group. Now we have plenty of groups you can you can belong to. You can be Republican or Democrat or pro-life or pro-choice or you know you can be uh, Apple or Samsung or you can be Dr Pepper or Coke. There's plenty of groups that you can be a part of. You know, advocate. But really, we do that because we want to belong. We want to be right. We want to win. Well, if you're going to win with Jesus, let me tell you something what we do. What we do, this is what we do. We, we, we get out our Bibles and we have a sword fight. Well, Jesus said, oh yeah, well, Jesus said this. How do you like that? And we have to realize that Jesus isn't on either of our sides. We're not right. He's right. And so I, I really want to ask you, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And that's really what happened with Joshua. Joshua looks at Jesus and said, hey, are you with us or are you with them? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm on the Father's side. I'm captain of the Lord's army. The reality is, is that we're not going to be the fastest person out on the field to grab the kickball and say, all right, I'm team captain. Now, who's going to be on my team? We have to look to Jesus. He's the team captain. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Whose side are you on? Are you on your side or are you on his? Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.